Uh, Well, let me pray as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, use me now to speak your word uh, faithfully and clearly. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would quiet our minds to help us concentrate on your word. Uh, It's been a wild week. Um, Please give us uh, minds to, to think about how good your son Jesus is tonight. Uh, give us a bigger view of him. Help us to see him as uh, our, as your answer to life, as your answer of life in the face of death. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I don't think I have to be a mind reader to know what many of you have been thinking about this week. Um, news of the coronavirus has been on TV, on the internet in the paper, uh, and from emails that are helpful from our senior minister. And I think it's fair to say that many in our world right now are very unsettled, to say the least. Uh, This is clear from the sporting events that are being shut down, the empty shelves we're seeing at Coles. It's clear from the people I see walking around with face masks. Uh, But it's actually also clear from the sense of concern that I feel in myself as I hear of all the developments. Uh, My pop, who grew up, lived his whole life in the little country town I'm from, used to say that Bort, name of the town, that Bort is the safest place on earth. And I'm sure if he was around now, he'd be saying, I told you so. I think this, in the past week, many of us have really felt the desire to live in a place where we just feel safe. But at a time like this, we also long for a good leader who actually knows how to guide us through uh, the turmoil and bring us out on the other side, to handle all the economic catastrophe, to watch over us. We want a safe place to live and a good leader to follow. Well, the good news of our passage tonight is that it reminds us of God's commitment to give his people a good land and a good leader. So what we'll do is think about the good land and good leader God provided for Israel, which this last chapter of Deuteronomy really highlights, but then we'll actually consider how this passage points us beyond God's good provision for Israel to his provision of a greater land and a greater leader to us in Jesus. And it's actually my prayer tonight that we might know the real hope bound up in our heavenly home and the real security that is only found in relationship with our heavenly king. So first, let's think about Israel in this passage, the great land promised by God to Israel. As the book of Deuteronomy comes to an end, the narrator gives us one last picture of God's faithfulness in providing a good and safe place for his people to live. And that picture is recorded for us in the kind of panoramic view that Moses experiences before he dies. Now, I'm sure many of you have had some pretty epic views in your life. Maybe like Moses, you've stood atop a mountain, you've seen some breathtaking sights. I remember when I was a kid, Uh, My parents took my brother and I to the CBD in Melbourne. 
went up to the Rialto observation deck, and I've never seen a view so stunning. Well, I hadn't at that point. I was a kid from the country. Uh, I saw the city lights, little cars that looked like ants, MCG all lit up. It was spectacular. But just think for a moment of the spectacular view Moses experienced when he's on top of Mount Nebo looking at the promised land. And it's not just a kind of stunning moment, though, is it? It's a weighty moment. A moment that comes right at the end of his life before he dies. Uh, This is the land, the land he's looking at, is the land that he's been thinking about, teaching about, singing about for the past 40 years, and there it is. Now he sees it with his own eyes. Just look at how verses 1 to 3 describe that moment for us. Then Moses climbed, to Mount, uh, climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishgar across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. And we see that land described for us from Gilead to Dan on the side edges, all of Naphtali up the top, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh in the middle, all of land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea and the Negev all the way down the bottom, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms, as far as Zoah, which is right across from where Moses stands. See, Moses sees it all. Now, don't ask me how Moses saw all that land with the naked eye. Now, it does say in verse 7 that his eyes weren't weak, but as someone who studied the human eye at uni, I can only assume God gave him a special dose of supernatural vision in this moment, to take in that glorious view. And you see, the promised land was glorious. That's been the message of Deuteronomy all the way through. Remember how Moses described that land as revealed to him from God back in chapter 8, verses 7 and 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. See, God's land is good. It will be safe and secure. You will have all you need. There will be no lack in that land. That's the sort of land where you can walk into the shops and be confident they will have enough toilet paper, or pasta, or hand wash, or whatever. You see, what Moses sees before him is a picture of God's blessing to Israel. The land that they could kind of only imagine in their dreams was the land that he was giving them in reality. See, this generation had only known a kind of unsettled life in the desert. But God was taking them into a land of blessing and security with him as their covenant God. But this view of the promised land is not just a picture of God's blessing to Israel, but a a picture of God's faithfulness to his promises. Promises that go all the way back to Abraham, to whom God had promised a great land, a great number of people, descendants, and a great number of uh, great blessing. And you see that in verse 4. 
Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. See, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Centuries might pass, but God does not forget the promise he makes. And we see this in the good land that Israel is about to go in and enjoy, but we actually see it in the more tragic fact that Moses himself is not able to go in and enjoy that. As we heard last week, God had told Moses that he himself would not go in. Moses. Uh, This was Moses' punishment for dishonoring God in a moment of anger many years earlier. Just look at the way verse 4 kind of describes that. I have let you see it with your eyes, says God, but you will not cross over into it. When God makes a promise, he keeps it, both in blessing and in judgment. See, God's gift of the promised land to Israel reminds us that he actually cares about his people. Israel had lived under Egyptian oppression, and then because of their lack of faith, they had spent the next 40 years living under the harsh environments of the desert, And you can just imagine how much they longed to have a secure place they could call home. And then God graciously gives it to them in the promised land, a great land. But God had not only provided a great land, but a great leader who had guided them there and spoke God's word to them all the way. And that's actually the second big theme of this passage the great leader provided by God. See, in, terms of, uh, in times of turmoil, we all kind of long for a good leader, someone who will protect us, who will guide us, who will lead us through the struggle and out the other side. Uh, we've seen this, I think, in the past week. World leaders are getting grilled on the way they're handling the coronavirus. You see, we as citizens want our leaders to be kept clear and confused in their communication at this moment. We want them to take action, not be passive, but it has to be the right kind of action. We want them to show empathy in the moment. We want them really to tell us that everything is under control and here's why you can trust me. We actually long for great leaders. But in the last verses of Deuteronomy, the narrator speaks of God's provision to Israel of a truly great human leader in Moses. Now, he wasn't perfect, as we heard last week. The fact that he's barred from the promised land reminds us of that. He's actually a sinner like the rest of us. But as the narrator tells us, Moses' life was marked by wondrous achievements and faithful service. That's why Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, is not just called the leader of Israel, but the servant of the Lord, verse 5. So let's just take a few moments to think about Moses. We'll think about the death that is pronounced, the wisdom that he passed on, and his greatness that is proclaimed. So what do these verses say about Moses' death? Well, in verses 5 to 8, we get the picture Verse 5, the Mo, then Mo, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there on top of Mount Nebo in Moab, as the Lord had said. 
Now, in verse 6, you'll notice that it says, he buried him. Now, because the Lord has just been mentioned in the previous sentence, I think it's right to assume that this is a reference to God himself, burying Moses there in the valley opposite Beth Peor. We are told at the time that the narrator wrote these final words that no one knows where Moses' grave is, and which when you actually think about it, it's probably a good thing. Because knowing Israel's propensity for idolatry, it would surely have been a temptation for them to make an idol out of their great leader's bones and tomb. Verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor was his strength gone. Now, aside from just telling us that Moses was in remarkably great shape uh, for a 120-year-old man, the bigger point of these verses is to remind us that Moses' death happened on God's terms. It wasn't just a coincidence that, uh, that one could expect at that age. No, like all of us, Moses' life and death were in God's hands alone. Verse 8, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping was over. So Moses is gone at this point, but in God's kindness, the word of God Moses preached and the wisdom of God Moses possessed actually remains within the Israelite community through the leadership of Joshua, Moses' successor. And we see that in verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. See, Moses had brought the Israelites to the edge of the promised land, but it would be Joshua who would lead them in. Even beyond Moses, God was ensuring Israel had a good leader to bring them into that good land. Joshua would lead in the spirit of wisdom that Moses had, He would continue to uphold the law that Moses had taught. And actually, as we read in the book of Joshua, Joshua was a pretty good successor to Moses. But you kind of get the picture here at the end of Deuteronomy that as good a leader as Joshua was, he still wasn't a Moses. Verses 10 to 12 are clear that in the eyes of Israel, no one matches the greatness of Moses. Now, when great leaders die, uh, it's always interesting to hear how others will summarize their life and achievements in the eulogy at their funeral. Uh, When Winston Churchill died, for example, it was actually the Australian Prime Minister, Robert Menzies, who was commissioned to give his eulogy. And within the eulogy, Menzies focused in on Churchill's leadership during World War II when Europe faced the threat of Nazi oppression. And these are some of Menzies' words of Churchill. With courage and matchless eloquence and human understanding, he inspired us and led us to victory. It was because he was a great human being that in our darkest days he lit the lamps of hope at many firesides and released so many from the changes of despair. There has never been, there has been nobody like him in our lifetimes. You see, for Menzies, and for so many in his day, there was no one like Churchill. Well, for Israel, 
there was no one like Moses. And in fact, Moses' record dwarfs that of even Churchill's. See, just look at what's written in verse 10. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There's been nobody like Moses in Israel. Nobody has matched his faithful service of the Lord, verse 5. Nobody's matched his prophetic status, speaking on behalf of God to all Israel. Nobody has matched his intimacy with God. You know, Moses didn't know God from a distance. He knew him face to face, verse 10. Nobody has shown the kind of mighty power Moses unleashed against Pharaoh and his henchmen when he led them out of Egypt, says the narrator. Nobody like Moses. Now Moses had prophesied earlier in chapter 18, verse 15, that after he dies, God would raise up another prophet like him, who Israel must listen to. But at the time of this writing, that prophet hadn't come. And as we'll think about in just a moment, it's actually only when the Lord Jesus comes that that prophecy is fully realized. Jesus is that promised one. God's greater leader who, will, who, will, who Israel and the world must listen to. But at the moment, this passage is clear that God had provided Israel with two things that most of us long for in life, a great place you'd want to live and a great leader you'd want to follow. You see, the great tragedy of Israel's history as you continue to read the Old Testament is that they failed to experience the full blessings of that great land that their great leader had led them to. You see, after they settled in the land, they turned away from God and in turn experienced God's judgment in the land, not his blessing, as they were warned would happen. Israel was then soon shown to be a land populated not by righteous people who love God and think of others before themselves, but actually sinful people who reject God and think primarily of themselves. Because of their sin, much of Israel's life in the land wasn't safe or secure, but uncertain. Nor was it a place of long life and contentment, but sickness and death. Israel's experience in the land was one marked by sin, uncertainty, and death. Now, Israel's experience is actually just a snapshot of what it looks like to live in our broken world, which is in rebellion to God. Sin, uncertainty, death. See, that's our world as much as it was theirs. But because we usually live pretty comfortable lives, we don't always easily recognize this. But I think the last week or so has actually helped us see the broken world we live in with a bit more clarity. 
See, think about it. This week has reminded us that our world is sinful. You just have to walk into coals and be reminded of that. We are all sinful. In a moment of crisis, we so easily turn inward and not outward. We strip shops bare and and stockpile more than we need. The people hoarding toilet paper actually not monstrous outliers, as many of us would like to think. They are actually people like you and me. We actually all have the capacity to reject God and think primarily of ourselves. If we're honest, most of us know how much we would annoy our housemates or our family members if we actually have to be self-isolated with them for two weeks. We know how selfish we can be and how irritating we could be. But our world is also uncertain. See, we like to think we're in control, but we're actually not. Within a week, we've seen stock market plunge. Sporting events have been cancelled across the board. We still don't know when fans might be allowed to gather again. We're actually not in control of this world. And our world is sick and dying. Again, often we like to distract ourselves with that reality. We fill our lives with our work, entertainment, Netflix, with relationships, but it's actually been impossible to escape the daily reminder that we are mortal beings over the past few days. We are mortal beings who can get viruses, get sick, and actually will all go the way of Moses and die. You see, as good as Israel's promised land was, this week has been a reminder that even the best of this world falls short because it's full of sinful people, uncertainty and death. And when we come face to face with that, it actually can be a bit scary and unsettling. We long for someone or something to solve our problems and make the world feel safe again. Uh, There was an article I read online recently that reported on the so-called vaccine king. This bloke up here, Cyrus Poonawalla, is a billionaire who oversees a global vaccine empire run out of India. He is attempting to create a cure for coronavirus within six months. But you see, as good as that would be, and it would be good, we actually want to pray for something like that, it's still not really the solution we need, is it? You see, the vaccine king, if he does create a cure, isn't actually dealing with sin. He's not dealing with the uncertainty of life. And while he might be able to delay death, he can't reverse it. I was chatting with um, my elderly neighbour recently. She told me that every night she asked God to give her one more day. And when I asked her um, if she was prepared for the day when God says no, she said, I'm not actually prepared because I don't know what will happen to me on the other side. Well, in God's kindness, my neighbor asked me to help her prepare for death. 
And so later on, I went with my Bible over to her place and I shared with her the good news of God's better world that lies ahead. A world where there is no sin, no uncertainty, no sickness or death. This is the world the New Testament speaks of being the greater promised land, heaven. And heaven comes to us through faith in God's greater leader, Jesus. So it was Jesus who I told my neighbor about. It's Jesus who deals with her sin by dying on the cross. Jesus who promises her heaven. It is Jesus who reconciles her to God now and brings her to his side when her time comes. See, as we've learnt throughout our series in Deuteronomy, the promised land was a great place, but heaven, where sin and death has been eliminated, it's greater. And as we've read tonight, Moses was a great leader, but Jesus is greater. He not only takes us to the edge, but he brings us in. And he's greater in so many ways than Moses. You know, Moses is said, verse 10, to be the greatest prophet who spoke the life-giving word of God to Israel. But when Jesus comes, we see that he's actually more than a prophet who brings God's word. He is God's word, made flesh, John 1.14. He is therefore the source of life in himself. Moses is said, though, to have known the face of the Lord face to face, verse 10. But Jesus himself is the Lord, the second person of the triune God who Moses knew and spoke with. Throughout the gospel, we see Jesus in the most intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But Moses is said to have done great signs and wonders in Egypt verse 10, and shown mighty power in the sight of all Israel, verse 11. But Jesus did greater works. He showed greater power. He came healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, controlling the elements. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus not only shows that his love for us is immeasurable, he demonstrates his unmatched power to bring forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. See, Jesus is the greater leader who takes us to a greater land. And listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it. We heard it read earlier. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, that is, you who trust in Jesus and are looking forward to heaven, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. 
Moses liked the building, Jesus liked the builder. Moses was a faithful servant delivering God's law. Jesus is a faithful son delivering God's salvation. Uh, Nancy Guthrie, in her book, Even Better Than Eden, makes this really helpful modern-day kind of comment on all of this. She says, if the... That's the one. If the writer of Hebrews had created a Twitter handle for Jesus... Perhaps it would have been simply at better. And maybe his bio would read, God created all things through me and has appointed me heir of all things. I am the radiance of, uh, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and I uphold the universe by the word of my power. Hashtag better than Moses. Hashtag better priest. Hashtag better sacrifice. Hashtag better mediator. Hashtag better country. See, Jesus is a greater leader, the greater leader, who takes us to a greater land. So perhaps you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian. Do you long for a world better than the one that you're currently living in? A world that is actually not marked by sin or uncertainty or death. Do you want to know the one who is faithful to bring you to God and into that world? If you do, then I would encourage you to place your trust in Jesus tonight. Find forgiveness and new life that extends beyond this world. Now, sometimes that's a just a big call to make. You don't actually quite may not quite know what that means, and I'm happy to talk with you more about that. And in fact, this week, Lord willing. I'll be running the first session of the Christianity Explored course again. A guy missed it last week, so we're running it again this week for him. Come and join us and actually find out in greater detail why the message of Jesus is the best news you will ever hear. Uh, But if you're already a follower of Jesus, take comfort in the fact that you do have God's great leader, who is bringing you into God's greater land. See, as the author of Hebrews tells us, you have a heavenly calling, not just an earthly one. Your citizenship, as Paul says, is in heaven. It's not here. So fix your thoughts on Jesus, your greater leader and saviour, who will faithfully keep you until that day. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm finding that in the current pandemic, it's my thoughts that can get the better of me sometimes. Uh, Ruth and I went out for a walk yesterday, and it was clear to us just how much this whole thing is on our minds in what we were talking about. How are we going to stop the kids from getting uh, getting infected if one of us has to self-isolate? Is it just me, or did that guy walking past look a bit odd? When do you think they might shut down Cammy's school? Should I be worried about mum and dad? See, in this moment of time, it's kind of easy for our thoughts to be overwhelmed by the sin, the uncertainty, the, the sickness that we're hearing about, that we're seeing. But when we find our thoughts getting the better of us, let's try and do what God's word says and fix our thoughts on Jesus. 
So when your minds, minds worry about the sin and selfishness that we see in this moment, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Think about his death for sinners. That brings the forgiveness that our world needs. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for the selfish toilet paper hoarder. There's actually hope for all of us in Jesus. So don't just despair when you see people acting selfishly. Pray for them. And if you get the chance, share the message of their saviour with them, as Neil spoke about earlier. And actually thank God that Jesus has saved you from the sin and selfishness that lurks in your heart. And when your mind is overwhelmed by the uncertainty of what will happen tomorrow, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He does rule the world. God raised him from the dead and now he sits as Lord of all in heaven. Jesus is in control of the stock exchange, the AFL season, our employment, our life. He is not up in heaven scrambling to get things back in order again at this moment. He's in control and he actually works all things for the good of those who love him. This, like every other massive world event in history, is within God's sovereign plan. So we need to learn to say to one another, it's actually okay that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Jesus does. He's in control of tomorrow, and we can trust him. And when your mind worries about the sickness and death that you're reading about online from this virus, fix fix your thoughts on Jesus. He's actually more powerful than any virus. It didn't take Jesus six months to develop a cure to heal that man with leprosy in Matthew 8. He's not just a vaccine king, he's God's king. Matthew 8 tells us that Jesus looks at this guy with leprosy and he just says, be clean, and he's healed. He simply speaks to Jairus' daughter and raises her to life. He calls out to Lazarus behind the tombstone and he comes out, bandages and all. See, these miracles show us that sickness and death are no match for Jesus and that he is actually faithful to bring his people through them and into the glory of that greater promised land where sickness and death will be no more. You see, we live in this land confident in the good promise of that land. And you see, just in closing, I just want to take us back to that moment where Moses is standing on Mount Nebo just before he dies and looking at the promised land. There he is. Just think about that experience. Now, I suspect Moses in that moment died believing that he was looking at paradise as he gazed across the promised land. But just imagine the greater vision Moses beheld when he opened up his eyes in glory and found himself no longer standing on top of Mount Nebo, but standing in the presence of God, whom he had known throughout his time on earth. 
See, Moses is still there now enjoying that greater land with his greater leader, Jesus. Even the best of this world hasn't got anything on the next that Jesus has in store. And as we finish Deuteronomy today, I pray that you might also look forward to God's greater land and keep trusting, loving, and listening to God's greater leader, Jesus, who promises to take you there. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Let's pray. A gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in Jesus we have a hope beyond this world. I thank you that in trusting him we can be sure our sins are forgiven. Thank you that his death and his powerful resurrection ensure that one day we too will be brought into your greater promised land where the sin, the uncertainty, and the desperate loneliness and fear of this world will be no more. In Jesus' name, amen.